Wednesday, February 8th, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by ShopForKisses.org, the online shopping network of the Kisses for Kyle Foundation. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, we are jam-packed tonight as we have been for the last week. And you, you've been running around like crazy. And we're going to get to all that, but we're going to start off with a return visit from the Barkan Family Foundation's Mike Barnes making his return trip to the show. Yeah, Super Bowl talk, Eagles talk, those two things, unfortunately, mutually exclusive, exclusive yet again. And a big <laughs> event happening this weekend with the Barkan Foundation. So uh, it's going to be another fun show for sure. Well, let's get it rolling. And by the way, we will not be having our Carl's Cards Collectibles trivia question tonight, but we certainly appreciate Carl's donating uh, – all the prizes we've offered up so far, and Carl, you are the man. Yeah, he is indeed, and I just might shoot over to Havertown this weekend to say hello to Carl and former flyer Bill Clement at Carl's Cards. Well, my, my 7475 Stanley Cup jersey is at Carl's Cards and Collectibles, and it will be signed by one Bill Clement this weekend. Nice, nice. All right, so hey, with that business taken care of, let's welcome back from the Barkan Family Foundation, Mike Barnes to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable. Mike, welcome back. What's up, guys? Happy to be back. So grateful that you have me on uh, once again this evening. You guys are so good and so supportive of the Barcan Foundation. And uh, we have a great event coming up this Saturday night. I know Jim's going to try and come out. Uh, the Back to the uh, 80s party. It's sold out, 280 people strong. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun as we celebrate uh, what was a great decade, not only in music, uh, movies, entertainment, but also sports. We had a great time here in Philadelphia in the 80s, especially in the early 80s. I don't really remember it as much as I was uh, pretty young, but um, what a decade. So we're going back to the 80s on Saturday night. We're looking forward to it. And you guys mentioned Carl Henderson. Carl and his daughter Lauren and his wife Susan are huge supporters of the Barcan Foundation. Uh, they donated several items to our event on Saturday night, and I'm glad you, you guys support Carl because it's really refreshing to see somebody in the sports memorabilia business like Carl who really makes his business family-oriented. So we're so grateful for the Henderson support. Carl's one of the best in the business, and uh, what an amazing family. So it's nice to hear that Carl is such a – a big part of the show, and uh, that you guys support him in the manner in which you do. Absolutely. It's our pleasure to work with Carl and to have you on again, Mike. I think this is your third time. And, hey, before we get started, Mike, I'm going to dedicate this little 1986 tune to you. Love it. Oh, yeah, one of the many 1980s classics that could be heard at your Barkan Foundation Back to the 80s event coming up this Saturday night. We're going to talk about all that very shortly, but 
First, Mike, we want to talk some football with you because like you, or like us, I guess, you are a lifelong Eagles fan, and like us, you were rooting for the Falcons the other night. But still, how would you like that Super Bowl Sunday evening? I loved it. I mean, as a football fan, I, I think there's nothing more that you can ask for. Um, you know, the first couple, you know, the first half was sluggish. I mean, the Falcons were playing great. I think they, you know, left some opportunities on the board there. New England had a few turnovers. They capitalized on that Brady interception. But getting into that fourth quarter and just watching Tom Brady get into that rhythm, and you knew once he got into that rhythm and they got those two-point conversions on those touchdowns, if they got the ball first in overtime, you know what was coming. And, and that's exactly what happened. And, I mean, the guy, you know, I've always battled in my mind who's better, Montana or Brady. I mean, you got to give it to Tom Brady. The guy is extraordinary. He's one of the best I've ever seen. And uh, my wife and Heather, my wife uh, Heather and I actually were at the first Super Bowl that Tom Brady won, which was in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and we didn't really know who he was. We knew he was at Michigan. And, you know, here he comes replacing Drew Bledsoe. And now he's one of the greatest football players of all time. And, if not the greatest, I guess he is. Wow. So uh, the yeah. game was awesome, uh, you know, and, you know, I thought the playoffs were not the greatest. You know, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, down-to-the-wire games, but the Super Bowl, unbelievable. So I hope Meryl Streep enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's turn our attention to the Eagles season, Mike. Uh, it ended on New Year's Day, a 7-9 and nine season, but we did get to watch Carson Wentz for 16 games, so – Mike, how would you assess Wentz and the Birds' season in general? I think you look at it, you got off to the 3-0 and start. I mean, I'm a fan. You know, I, I think people look at me as the Barkan Fa- Family Healing Hearts Foundation Executive Director, and, you know, they, they look at me as maybe somebody who knows a lot of sports. I am, as you said, a lifelong Eagles fan, and I bleed green. The, the season was tough as a fan because we got to that, that 3-0 and start, and, you know, it looked like, we were going right to the playoffs, and then obviously a lot of the weaknesses that we knew going into the season really kind of uh, reared their head. And um, the way I would assess Wentz, I thought, you know, he had a lot of great moments. I think he was inconsistent at times. Obviously, they talked about his mechanics. But as an Eagles fan, I've, I am really, really excited. I believe he will take us where we want to go as long as. Howie Roseman and company get talent around him, and that begins, obviously, with the evaluation now heading into the draft, which is in Philadelphia in just two months. So I'm really excited. But, you know, I I thought Wentz showed a lot of poise, and I think the one thing that we, we didn't talk about as much after the season was the fact that he was able to play 16 games where he's had a lot of injuries in the past, and he played in front of an offensive line that obviously I, I thought that played well at times during the season, but was shifting guys in and out, obviously with the, you know, Lane Johnson suspension, and uh, we had a few injuries. So all in all, I thought he did a great job. I think, you know, there's a lot, I think a lot of improvement will take place in Carson's game between now and next August or August and September. So I'm really looking forward to see where this team goes, but this off season is crucial. Hey, hey Mike, uh, put you on the hot seat just a little bit. You're, you're the GM. The draft is coming up. 
Now they started making roster moves today by by whacking McElvin, but uh, y- who are you picking? What po- or not who necessarily, but what position? There's a lot of positions in need. You're the GM. How are we going to get better sooner? Where are we going? Well, I mean, the two obvious you know choices are receiver and corner. I, I think that's very important. But I also think the one thing that we have to focus on, and the Eagles, I hope, focus on, and, uh, you know, from our perspective, is a running back. You want to protect Carson Wentz, you have to have a great offensive line. I think the running back by committee, it works in the NFL, but I'd really like to see the Eagles get somebody consistently in there from week to week who can get those two or three yards on the third and two, third and three, because Carson Wentz can't be going back 50 or 60 times a game. We, we can't have that. So if there's one position I think they really need to upgrade, it's obviously receiver, obviously corner, but running back is really something I hope they address in the draft. And, uh, you know, the receiver, I hope we get somebody that's, that can burn and, and stretch the defense, and I hope we also get one in free agency as well. So, But I, I think running back's one of those positions where if you look at Carson Wentz and his development, I think if you're going to protect him, you have to have somebody behind him that can consistently run the ball and be counted on 16 weeks of the year. So that's my, uh, that's where I'm at with that. So um, that's just my humble opinion. <laughs> hey, do you think both Jason Peters and Jason Kelsey will be back? There was some talk about, you know, maybe them cutting ties with Kelsey. They're maybe going to ask Peters for uh, a pay cut. I don't know if he'd agree to that, but what do you think is going to happen with those two guys? Uh, if, I, if I were guessing, I would think they would possibly think about moving Kelsey if, if, the, if there was a, you know, the move was right. I think they would like to bring Peters back. I'm sure they would. I mean, um, you know, obviously they have the future behind him, and you know, a lot. You saw what Lane Johnson brought to the table, even when he came back in that Giants game. You know, so he's got to be right. You know, a lot of this all is kind of predicated on Lane Johnson. And, you know, that's a scary thing because he hasn't been able, you know, we really haven't been able to count on him. So uh, Peters and Kelsey, I think if they're going to move one of them, I think it's probably going to be Kelsey. And I just think, you know, with his size, I don't think it's he's where Peterson wants to be uh, from a perspective of running the ball, you know, between those gaps. And, um, you know, Kelsey, you know, he didn't have a bad year this year, um, but I think they need to upgrade at the center position. So I think he's probably the one to go out of the two. Hey, Mike, shifting over, we're going to talk for for a few minutes here uh, in a minute about the rock to the 80s coming up. But I wanted to ask you in general, you deal with a lot of athletes through the Barkan Foundation and uh, a lot of celebrities and a lot of local media. Uh, any favorites, any just really, really genuine good people? Not that, it means, not that it means there's bad people, but anybody that just sticks out and says, you know what, this is really just a class act. I'm glad you asked that question, and I'm going to give you a, a very broad answer to that, and I think it speaks to where we are in Philadelphia and the sports scene. Even though we don't have a lot of championships, the alumni of all four sports teams in this town do an extraordinary job of getting involved in the community, most of whom are from other parts of the country, and when they're done playing in Philadelphia, so many of them stay here. 
guys for us like John Runyon, uh, Vince Papali, these guys have been such a big part of our foundation. Um, you know, when I think of, we just talked about the Hall of Fame, Brian Dawkins is somebody who's been with us since day one with the foundation. Um, and the other person that I would really say that I think people are going to fall in love with that I've had a chance to meet a couple of times is somebody we just discussed, and that's Carson Wentz. I think what we've seen from him is just a glimpse of who he is. I think his work ethic is extraordinary. He has a winning attitude. He's a winner. He's won everywhere he's been. But if you look back at some of the things that he was able to do academically, um, you know, it just seems like there's such a consistent air about him and I think if we're we're looking at the next star in Philadelphia and somebody that we could, you know, I have two children of my own, somebody that I want to put their jersey on, um, Carson Wentz is going to be that guy. And on a national level now, John Dornboss. John Dornboss is one of the nicest, he's a gentleman, nicest guys yeah, that you'll, you'll ever meet. And quite honestly, he has a career after after his stint with the Eagles and in football i mean he, he's just a great guy but in all honesty there's so many great guys that that we've had the opportunity to work with but um philadelphia is special in that right um and it's just it's a great it's so great to be a part of the philadelphia sports community and i know jim you went to the uh the sports writers dinner and i know you're going to discuss this later but we have a tight-knit sports community, and I don't think that exists everywhere else. So um, even though we're short on championships, and we, you know, I saw a sign of a kid the other day who's, who said, oh, this is my 10th parade, and I'm 15 years old, I think it was, in Boston. I saw that. Yeah, I, I just want to see one Super Bowl parade here. You know, I'm losing, I've lost all my hair at this point. I'm getting older. i got to see it, you know. And, you know, I am not – um, I was brought up on all four sports teams, but I am not, because of my role as executive director, I don't have enough time uh, to be able to get to watch all the other sports like I do the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles is my number one, and, you know, I, you got the Sixers coming up now, and, you know, look at them beat, and, you know, they're, they're, here they come, and then I think the Phillies aren't, aren't too far away, and um, obviously the Flyers with Ghost and Giroux and all the young guys, Voracek, so I think Philadelphia, we're at the, the precipice of the city becoming back, coming back into prominence the next couple of years. But I, I think people are going to fall in love with Carson Wentz. The Flyers alumni always has been huge, yes. um, you know, forever with the, with the bullies. And, you know, they're still around. Carl has them all the time, as we said, Bill Clement coming in. Uh, do they do a lot of work with, uh, with you as, over there? They Marcus? have. I, Dave Schultz, Bob Kelly. Um, Danny uh, Briere, Boucher, I'm just trying to think of all of them. Um, we've had Bernie has been at our events before in the past. You know, the thing about what the Flyers do, just with the carnival, and then you think about all that they do in the community for countless charities. Same thing goes for, um, it used to be the Eagles Youth Partnership. I'm not sure of the official name of it now, but I mean, I think that's one area that all of the sports teams need to find a way to be able to connect with the fans because they don't really 
they don't really celebrate the work that they do in the community because they do so much of it. And I think that's part of the issue. And it kind of goes under the radar a little bit. And it's extraordinary. All four teams. And then you get the union. I mean, they are so ingrained and so involved in the community. It's awesome. Yeah, well, and, you know, it only seems like as far as the local media coverage, uh, you know, when it when the news gets a hold of something like Connor Barwin got a lot of a lot of press for uh, you know the playgrounds inner city playgrounds yep. which was great stuff, um, but those guys do so much stuff behind the scenes that just people don't ever know. You're absolutely right, and 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 even just talking about Carl Henderson, Lauren Henderson involved with the Hamels Foundation. Look what Cole Hamels has been able to do with that foundation. I mean, that, and that's just, you know, one. Shane Victorino, thinking back, I was very involved with David Akers and what he did for, for children at CHOP. He created a locker room, uh, which was extraordinary. And then, you know, you there's so many guys out there doing but the, it's just there's not enough exposure on the good stuff. Right, you know, we, right. we all hear the negative and we all – you know, and we've really got to put a light on all of that good stuff going on, and it's really happening uh, with all four sports teams. Mike, wow. I want to talk about what's happening this weekend. You and Ellen and Michael Barkan have something coming up on Saturday that I know is going to be a fantastic event, and we got we had you on the show to help promote it, but we don't need to promote it. It is sold out. I love what you're doing here, so tell us what is happening Saturday night. Well, Saturday night, we it's our first fundraiser of the year, and as you mentioned, we're thrilled that it's sold out. It's what we're trying to do, because we have so many events throughout the year, fundraisers, is trying to put themes behind them and give, give our supporters an opportunity to participate in the theme. So Saturday night we'll be going back to the 80s, as we mentioned, and we have Michael and Alan Barkan coming, and we also have Vince Papali. I know he's been a uh, regular on your show, as well as his wife Janet, and they're going to judge the best-dressed couple costume of the 80s, and then they're also going to award the best group who's dressed in 80s apparel a happy hour for 10 at the Capitol Grill of downtown Philadelphia. So awesome. this is our first event of the year. You know, in order for us to provide financial assistance, fundraising is the name of the game. And we have to have fun events that are outside the box that, you know, our, our supporters and people that want to support us can come out, enjoy themselves. It's affordable. We have great auction items, Carl's Cards, big part of that auction, and then the raffles. We have over 50 raffles that people will have the opportunity to win on Saturday night. U2 tickets, Billy Joel, Philly's, op- Philly's opening day tickets. It's just the list goes on and on. But we're thrilled that it's sold out, and i like to say to you, uh, Jim and, and Bill, thank you so much for your support to the Barcan Foundation over the last four years. We're going into our fifth year and we would not be able to get where we are today without you guys. And we appreciate all of the positive exposure that you give us. It really means a lot. So we're excited about Saturday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mike, you were a toddler when the 80s began, but you told me recently that you are a huge fan of that decade. How come? Yes. I guess because I had an older brother and older sister. So that whole MTV Live Aid, I, you know, I saw it through the eyes of, my brother and sister who were in high school and college at that time. And, and, you know, you looked at the movies, you know, Goonies, uh, 
Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uncle Buck, John Candy was my favorite actor. And <laughs> it was just a, it was a great time. And then I, I thought MTV really brought music to another level. And we look back on it now, and we look at those videos and how cheesy they were. But to me, to this day, it was, it was a great decade. You know, the 90s I thought were a little bit darker, especially in the early. I love grunge, obviously, Nirvana, Pearl Jam. But I really enjoyed Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you ask my brother, he used to take me to West Coast Video all the time. And I would rent the same movie week after week. And it was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, nice. love the 80s. Hey, Mike, before we get to uh, our little Fast Five with uh, the chat runs, I wanted to ask, I met you last year down here at Clearwater for the Phils. Uh, you plan on coming down this year? I hope to. Uh, our family, we have family that lives in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. My wife's uh, family all live down there. So we're hoping to come to uh, come in March, and uh, we love that St. Patrick's Day game. Everybody gets uh, decked out in their green, and uh, last year we had about a sunny and 85-degree day. It was absolutely gorgeous. Got a chance to see you, Bill, and... It was a great day. I had a couple beers, and uh, the kids loved it. So we're hoping in March uh, to get down there again. And, you know, our first stop hopefully will be Clearwater for that Phillies game. We love taking that pirate ship that they have right there. And, you know, that's a great – I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than being down in Clearwater on St. Patrick's Day. The sun is shining, and it's about 80 degrees on St. Patrick's. That's a lot of fun. So we hope to see you then. <laughs> All right. There's a lot of beer. All right, a lot of beer. I hear you. Hey, <laughs> let let's get to our fast five. Chet, uh, Chet basically asks five quick questions. You give five quick answers. You ready to roll? I'm ready. All right, here we go with Mike Barnes' fast five. Okay, as noted, you were just about two years old, I think, when the '80s began. Mike, what is your first real sports memory from the mid or late 1980s? Uh, best sports memory uh, was with my father. 1986, cold uh, October night, we're sitting there, and the Mets beat the Boston Red Sox in Game 7 of the World Series. That Game 6, I'll never forget, watching it with my father. It was extraordinary. Baseball was my first love as a child. So the 86 Mets team, uh, my sister went to St. Joe's. She she dated a guy from St. Joe's who was a Mets season ticket holder, and I got to go to many Mets games. And seeing that World Series with my dad, who's deceased, on television, that was, I'll never forget that, that 86 team. So that moment where Mookie oh, yeah. Wilson, you know, and Buckner, you want to talk about one of the great moments in sports, in, you know, in baseball history and in sports history, 86 Mets beating the Red Sox. All right. Now, even though you were just a kid, uh, tell me two or three of your favorite 1980s-era Philadelphia Eagles. All right. Well, I think, obviously, number one would be Reggie White. And then I would go with uh, somebody I think that we kind of miss a little bit, Keith Jackson. And Eric Allen was still kind of young at that time, but we'll go Eric Allen. All right. Now, you mentioned Ferris Bueller. When I say great 1980s movie, in addition to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, tell me two or three that come to mind. Um, Adventures in Babysitting. And I would say, I'm just trying to think here. There's so many good ones. Um Uncle Buck, as I said, I love John Candy. So Okay. Hey, do you have any fond memories of your youth of 1980s television shows, maybe Family Ties, Cheers, The Cosby Show, Growing Pains, Alf, or you name it? Well, obviously, The, the Cosby Show, every, I guess it was every Thursday night, was must-see TV yep. for me. And, 
and uh, I was the youngest, so I would I would watch with my mom and dad, and that was that was my favorite show. And obviously, having Bill Cosby as a uh, Temple guy and seeing him wear his Temple sweatshirt all the time, that was awesome. So definitely, the Cosby Show was number one. And you know, I don't think there's Cheers. I loved, but I was a little bit young, so I always, as I got a little bit older, appreciated it more. But definitely, um, I would have to say the Cosby Show was number one. All right. Now, no pressure, Mike, but give me three or four great 1980s songs. Maybe we'll hear some of them Saturday night. Okay. Uh, we gotta go, we're going to go goofy here. We're going to go Safety Dance, um, <laughs> and then we're going to go Pet Shop Boys. Let's see. What else do I love? Um, always on my mind, right? Always on my mind, which I posted the other night. And then yep. You Spin Me Around. That was a good one. And let's go with uh, Don't You Forget About Me. And uh, that was you talk about The Breakfast Club. That was one of the movies that I love and still watch to this day. So uh, th- those are some oh. of the songs that I loved. And The Breakfast Club, I forgot to mention, was probably one of my all-time favorite movies with Molly Ringwald. Rick Springfield, Jesse's Girl is a typical 80s song that I love, okay? That's a good one. It's a very good That's one. That's your five. There's a lot I, of I don't them. have one, one bonus question. Uh, this would be number six out of our fast five. True or false? And please tell me this is true so I can use it against him. Your brother Bill had a crush on Debbie Gibson and probably wore a Wham t-shirt. True or false? Oh, my gosh. I hope he's not listening. That would be 100% <laughs> true. You know, you know Bill too well there, Jim. Too well. <laughs> That's 100% true. <laughs> hey, shout Mike out to the Cowboy guy in, the, in the Debbie Gibson shirt. And we loved Elizabeth <laughs> Shue, too, so there's another one. Oh, yeah. Fun game <laughs> of Fast Five. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. All right, Mike. Hey, thanks for joining us. Sorry for the little uh, technical glitch we had here, but uh, good luck with your event on Saturday night, and uh, you guys do a great job. Really, really happy for you. Thank you so much for having me, and as I've said to Jim many times, we talk all the time, Thank you for your organic way of going about connecting Philadelphia sports fans and having great discussion and keep going with it. It's an honor to be on your show. Um, I'm just a fan, but I hope in three years we're talking about an Eagles Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. Love you guys. Woo-hoo, I hope me so. Too. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> let's get, See you Saturday. Let's get All this right, Mike, thanks, right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Take care. All right, champ. Hey, I, I wanted to ask you, you had a chance to attend the Philadelphia Sports Writers Annual Dinner this week, and it was basically a who's who of Philly sports personalities, media people, including many of my favorites, including the Big E. Tell us all about it, and did you get to give Big E a high five for me? <laughs> all right, now feel free to jump in at any point, because otherwise I will ramble for three or four minutes here. It was that much fun. No, I did not get to get up close and personal with Big E, unfortunately, but it was an opportunity to meet in person four guys who we've had on the show as guests over the phone. That included sports writers Kevin Cooney, Mike Kern, and Mike Sealski, all super guys. And then I saw Dr. Joel Fish walking around. He's our favorite sports psychologist, and we had a real nice chat. Dr. Fish says he had a terrific time being on with us last year and that he would love to do it again, and I, of course, said absolutely. He said, we ask great questions, so there you go. Also, I got to say hello again to Phil's broadcasters, Tom McCarthy, Larry Anderson, Ben Davis, and I met for the first time Scott Fransky. I love his work on the radio. I told him as much. And I met former heavyweight boxing champ Tim Witherspoon, too, so that was kind of fun. 
But it was see, like I chatted selfie briefly. heaven for yeah. you. <laughs> I chatted briefly with Flyers legend Bill Barber for the first time. What a super nice guy he is. And don't be surprised, by the way, if Bill Barber shows up on Philly Press Box Radio this spring, just saying. I'm guessing you're a Bill Barber fan, Bill. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Bill Barber, well, I'll just pick out one guy, but this probably goes for all of them. I've never heard anybody ever say a bad word about Bill Barber. Yeah, and our pal Switt, Steve Switkowitz, is working with Bill now, doing some appearances and whatnot. And he had uh, an appearance on Saturday uh, together, and he said it went great. And he also told me Bill is just the nicest guy, and I, I can vouch for that. He was very nice to talk to, and, yes, we will hopefully have him on the show in the spring. Um, WIP now, funny saw, man Joe Conklin. Yeah. Oh, I, I saw one of your pictures of the legendary Bill Lyon, and I was wondering if you were able to actually spend t- any time talking to Bill or if you were just able to get a, a photo with him. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you, that's that's my, my finale here. I'm leading up to that. That's going to be the big finish. Oh, here. okay. <laughs> I don't want to steal your WIP well, funny man. Been... Yeah, Joe Conklin was there. I think uh, Joe was a guest speaker pretty much every year they've had this event for the last 10 years anyway. As usual, he killed great impressions of Charles Barkley, Allen Iverson, Larry Anderson, even. He does an impression of Larry Anderson. And our new president, Donald Trump, very funny was Joe Conklin. Now, as for the awards night event itself, there were honors for Villanova as team of the year, of course, with Jay Wright, Josh Hart, and Chris Jenkins on hand to accept the award. Super featherweight boxing champ Jason Sosa got the Native Son Award. Seemed like a nice guy. I might add his beautiful fiance Michelle, sat at my table. I'm just throwing that out there. Good luck to Jason in his April 8th unification title bout on HBO. Um, let's see, Flyer Shane Gostisbehere was there. He received the Outstanding Pro Athlete Award for 2016. Let's hope he regains that 2016 form soon. And, yeah, as you mentioned, the biggie, Eric Lindros, got the Living Legend Award. He was a real crowd favorite. But, yeah, unfortunately, both Gostisbehere and Lindros weren't really accessible to the, the peons in the crowd like me. Now, at the end of the evening, at this event every year, in fact, the Philadelphia Sports Writers Association gives out a Most Courageous Award, and they keep the recipient's name a secret ahead of time. But, boy, did they make a great selection this year, and that's the guy you mentioned, the award going to legendary Philly Inquirer columnist Bill Lyon. As any Philly sports fan knows, Bill, uh, Bill Lyon's been writing terrific columns since the early 1970s, but now the last few years he's been battling Alzheimer's, and since last summer, writing about that battle with a series of columns. I think he's done nine so far. Now, that's where he's displayed the courage, going public with this horrific health problem and then chronicling the battle in a bid to raise awareness. He spoke for a good 12 to 15 minutes up on uh, the the stage, and it was truly a moving talk. He struggled at times to get the words out, even as he was reading from a prepared script. He mixed up some words a few times, but you know what? No one was bothered by that at all. I wasn't the only one fighting off tears as Bill Lyon spoke. And you asked about whether I got to talk to him at all. Yeah. Earlier in the evening, shortly after his arrival, that was near the end of uh, the cocktail hour, I was able to go and say hello to Bill. I posed for a picture with him, as you saw, and I did get to talk to him for a couple of minutes. I, I just wanted to tell him how much I've enjoyed his work over the last 40-plus years and how powerful his columns about his Alzheimer fight have been. And then to my surprise, he asked me who I was, and he told me how nice it was to meet me. And that just caught me off guard. I didn't even you know, bother to introduce myself previously. And so I told him, and he said it was just you know, nice to meet me, which I thought was you know, kind of cool. Just another example of what a class guy he is. 
Uh, it's no wonder that over the weekend both Mike Sielski and Kevin Cooney wrote about Bill Lyon as one of their sports journalism heroes. And oh, by the way, Bill Lyon turns 79 in a day or two. I believe it's Friday. So happy birthday, Mr. Lyon. Here's to many, many more. Well, so so you did not know that Bill was going to be there. The, 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 the people didn't know that he was getting that award, or how, how did that all come, come about? Yeah, they don't announce that ahead of time. They they just say they just say most courageous award to be announced. But earlier in the week on uh, Philly Sports Talk on Comcast Sportsnet, uh, they had one of the people from the PSWA on the show, and they mentioned that the most courageous award would be one that would bring the house down. Everybody's going to love it. Uh, It's a well loved figure in town. So. At that point, I thought, hmm, I wonder if it might be Bill Lyon. And uh, sure enough, when I saw him come in during the cocktail hour, I said, yep, there's your most courageous award winner right there. So, uh, yeah, they do keep it a secret. But I kind of had a hunch when I saw the mention earlier in the week on Philly Sports Talk that it might be him. Then, of course, I saw him in person. I said, yeah, that's the guy. Interesting. Cool stuff. Sounds like uh, a night that – by the way, how did you end up there? I bought a you ticket. Were a guest Nobody of... invited me. I, I oh, was not. Nobody's made... guest. Yeah, tickets are available to the general public. Uh, they're not real cheap, but I did get a little discount somewhere, and I just signed up and checked with Kevin Cooney because our buddy Kevin Cooney is uh, involved with uh, handling the tickets and everything. So uh, he made sure that I got a seat, and uh, I sat with some other nice people, including the fiance of the boxer, as I mentioned and a couple other just uh, Philly sports fans. And Steve Bucci was at the table as well. Steve Bucci, who used to be with Channel 3 and later Comcast Sports, that was yep. also at the table. Although I didn't get to talk to him uh, too much. So uh, it, was, it was a great night, though, just to see all these Philly sports people, including some amateur athletes that I, that I didn't mention, and, you know, the Flyers who were there. Uh, in addition to Bill Barber also, Dave Poulin and the initial captain, Luang Gotti, they were both there. I, I didn't get to talk with them, unfortunately, but just a great night. I really enjoyed it. Second time I've been there, I was there also in 2011, I believe it was, and now this year. So I'm going to have to try to get there every year because it's really a great event. Well, it sounds really cool, and it, and it sounds really neat that you can buy a ticket and go to it. It sounds like something that the listeners uh, that are crazy Philly sports fans would certainly enjoy. Yeah, and it's it's a long evening. I was under the impression I took Friday off because I went to Wing Bowl earlier in the day, as you know, and I think we're going to talk about that. Um, and then I was thinking in my head that the banquet started at 6 o'clock with the cocktail hour, then you know, dinner was like 7 or whatever. Then I looked at the last second at like 3.30. Cocktail hour started at 5, and the dinner allegedly at 6 or 6.15. So I had to hustle up and get ready. So, yeah, I was there from 5 o'clock till it all ended at about uh, 10.30 or 10.40. So a long evening, but definitely well worth it. Very good. All right. Well, hey, Chet, let's uh, let's take a break right quick. Let's thank our sponsor, ShopForKisses.org, the online shopping network of the Kisses for Kyle Foundation. By logging on to www.ShopForKisses.org's website, you become connected to over 3,000 stores, including all the big ones you already shop at. Every purchase made gets you cash back, and each purchase benefits the Kisses for Kyle Foundation, which helps families dealing with childhood cancer throughout the Delaware Valley. If you have any questions, contact Bob Sullivan at bobsullivan.shopcom at gmail.com or give him a call at 484-319-8043. 
All right, Chet. It is week two of random QT time. Explain again to the listeners how this works and how I end up on the hot seat. <laughs> All right. In case our listeners missed it last week, we're doing a 10-show experiment in which I'm going to ask you, Bill, two little questions. The first question will be a sports question, a sports topic, something timely usually, while the second question will be one of ten random questions already written down about whatever. So you're going to pick a number in that case from one to ten each week, and that will be the, week two, the week's second question. Now we're going to limit the segment to about two minutes, so we're going to do it now, and in the process we're going to learn a little bit more about you, Bill Furman, and we will have some time. Uh, we'll have some fun at the same time. So uh, let's do it. You ready? Okay, well, last week I picked number one, I believe, so this week I am going to pick number ten. Number ten. Okay, that's going to be the second question, the random question. But the first question, that timely sports question, I promised you. Here we go. In the aftermath of the great Super Bowl 51, our week two sports question is, what do you think of the NFL's current postseason overtime format in which, as we saw Sunday night, the game is over if the team that wins the coin toss drives down the field and scores a touchdown? You like that? I don't like that. Um, I mean, it's better than what they used to do, but it's still not good enough. I, honestly, I like the college. I like the college plan where they put the ball back there at the 35-yard line and they let them play a little bit. Um, or else play one complete quarter and, and let every both teams have the ball and have a chance to, to win the game. The, the no-possession thing just is really – I just don't like that. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't want them to switch to the college format where they start at the 25-yard line, but I do want to see both teams get a chance to have the ball once, even if the team that has it first scores a touchdown. I just don't think it's fair. You had an Atlanta Falcons defense that was worn down from a long fourth quarter in which the Patriots had the ball much of the time. So as soon as the Patriots won the coin toss, you pretty much knew that game was going to be over. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, what are you going to do? I mean, it's better It's better yeah. than the way you, they used to do it, but still not good enough. And just yep. the fact that the, the Super Bowl went to uh, overtime is pretty good in itself, though. Yeah, first time in 51 Super Bowls. How about that? Now, the random question, the second question, you said number 10. Last week you picked number one. We learned that your absolute favorite Bruce Springsteen song is Born to Run. This week you said number 10, and that one would be, we know you and your boys are big sports fans. Is your wife Mary a sports fan or not? And if not, how does she put up with you guys? Mary is not a sports fan in any way, shape, or form. But you know what? <laughs> she knows we like it. She sits with us. She watch, She doesn't really watch. She reads her books. She does whatever. But she sits with us, and uh, she is an absolute trooper when it comes to our craziness as far as sports. But if you do, did notice, Chet, uh, my son Chris made the comment last uh, yesterday because Mary and I went to see Wicked last night, and Chris said, Dad made it one day after football season. <laughs> that was nice, though. I'm sure so you had a nice I got a, lot, I got a lot of making up to do. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's how we play Random Q2. But I, I have a bonus question for you. This was my backup sports question. Um, and I want to ask it because uh, it's important to me. So I want to ask, with the game on Fox, Joe Buck, of course, called the game, and I think he did a fine job. Why is there so much hate for Joe Buck in Philly and elsewhere, and where do you stand on Joe Buck? Uh, you know, I, I, 
I don't really have a problem with him. I think the problem with with Joe, and I think, and I really think Troy Aikman does a pretty nice job, a real nice job. But I, yeah, I think the thing with Joe is he he seems to swing with the favorite, and he becomes a homer to the team that's ahead, you know, and it just keeps on and on and on. And then if the team doesn't come back, then it almost looks like he called a one-sided game. And I really think that because he's not only disliked in Philly, he's disliked everywhere. And that's the only reason I yep. think it can be because I think he does a pretty nice job. Yeah, I do too. I never really understood the hate for him. I think he does a good job, and I just never understood it. So whatever. It is what it is, as they say. Yes, sir. Well, hey, that was fun. Good good questions. And, hey, speaking of the Super Bowl, let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, I, I believe I had the Patriots. You had who? <laughs> yeah, I had the Falcons. But let me explain myself here, Mr. Furman. Um, I was rooting for the Falcons, as were you. But in my defense, I did pick the Falcons to win. But had I gone with my head, I would have taken the Patriots. I only went with Atlanta because I had already wrapped up our little postseason <laughs> pick competition. So there. <laughs> oh, okay. So I took the Patriots because I won the regular season competition and I won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, no. Well, in my head, I was going to. It was. Go ahead. In my head, I would have you know, said the Patriots would win just because of the experience factor and maybe the Falcons you know, not being ready for the big stage. And I'll tell you, in the fourth quarter, that certainly looked like it was the case. Did the Falcons well, choke? You know, they, is, that, is that considered a choke? What do you think? No, no. I, I, I'm not. That, that's one word that I just despise. You know, those guys were playing their tail end off. They ran out of gas. Yeah. You know, the – the, the Atlanta defense really played good. Where they got in trouble is because they got the lead and they got Brady to the point he was going to throw the football on every single down, and you can't stop them. So they created, by, by playing well and creating some turnovers and getting some points and getting a lead, it changed the way New England had to do things, and it ended up in the end because the New England defense – created a turnover and a touchdown and a momentum swing, it ended up hurting the Falcons because they just couldn't they couldn't hold on any longer. Yep. Yeah, and as soon as it got to 28-20, you pretty much knew the uh, Patriots were going to do it. And, oh, man, you, yeah, you felt bad when the Falcons had to take that one sack that put them out of field goal range. That was a, a sign of things to come. So, Boy, give the Patriots credit. That was just an amazing final 15 to 20 minutes on their part. Give Brady and Belichick all the credit in the world right there. Well, and, and you know, hidden in the woodwork there is if if Josh McDaniel, uh, not Josh McDaniel, the other guy, the, the Falcons guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm losing my, deep, my mind here. The offensive guy? Uh, the offensive, offensive coordinator. coordinator who called – who ran them out of Shanahan. field goal range with a, with a sack and then a holding call. Uh, if that yeah. happened in Philly, they they would probably have him up there hanging by Billy Penn. Yeah, and Matt Ryan had to get rid of that, you know, somehow, but he didn't. And uh, oh well. I, I like lost the Eagles, my train of thought there on the Atlanta Bowl. offensive coordinator, who is now the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shanahan. 
That's the one I was looking for. There you go. Yep. You're the winner. All right. Hey, let's move on. I got a couple more topics for you uh, I want to talk about, and we're running out of time. First, the Pro Football Hall of Fame election or selection with no T.O., no Brian Dawkins, neither of whom you and I selected, uh, but certainly caused an, upri- uh, an uprising in Philadelphia. Uh, what do you think of the class of 2017? Well, I actually did say T.O. would get in, but, uh, yeah, not bad. I only oh, got did two of them correct. Yeah, I did. I made my guesses back on January 4th, as you did. I said Kurt Warner and LaDainian Tomlinson would get in, so I got those two right. But I was wrong with my other three guesses, T.O., Ty Law, and John Lynch. Uh, I guess the most surprising inductees are Morton Anderson and Kenny Easley. Most disappointing for me was T.O. not getting in this year. I really thought that he would. In my heart, I believe that voters just can't get past his off-the-field antics because, I mean, his on-the-field performance and the numbers that he put up should make him an absolute lock for the Hall. Of course, he doesn't help himself when he tweets afterward that it's a you know complete joke and all that, but uh, you know, that hurts his chances for next year, perhaps. And I know we were all hoping B-Doc would get in. I didn't think he would this year. I was hoping he would, but... I'm confident that Brian Dawkins will get in in the next one to three years. Well, I, I sure hope you're right. And uh, I, I was I was certainly surprised, I, I really surprised at Jason Taylor as well. Good player. I'm just not yeah. seeing him as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, the offensive line guys, four of them, none of them got even a sniff. You know, I, and, and you know the little piece that I posted on Jerry Kramer, I thought was interesting. He said, "There's, there's no criteria for putting a right guard into the Hall of Fame, and and that's what it looks like. You're going to keep adding guys to the list that are offensive linemen. They're not going to get in. Pretty soon, there'll be no skill players on the list, and you'll have a list of offensive linemen. Uh, mm-hmm. Sooner or later, you got to start letting those guys in. They're great players." And by the way, I didn't yet get to read Paul Domowicz's article. I wanted to, but what did Paul say about uh, the whole day's process and B. Doc and Teal not getting the support? Oh, you have to you have to read it uh, because it it goes through in detail who was it, who was the fifteen, how it got to ten, who made it to you know to ten, and then who made it to five. Uh, he he actually breaks down the whole entire process. And uh, like my man, Andre Bruce, never made it out of 10, you know, to get to or, or out of 15 to get to 10. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good article that I can't I can't walk you through all the details because I don't remember them exactly. But he he does a great job of explaining and, and he pushed for both Dawkins and Owens. And he thinks it's a travesty that Owens is not in. Yeah, and I do as well. So maybe next yep. year. Yep. So good stuff. And and I'll tell you what, I'm a little surprised about Kurt Warner. I'm I'm not a Kurt Warner first time timer either. But uh it's that Super Bowl stuff. Yeah, that certainly helps. You bet. All right. Hey Chet, uh one more topic I've gotta hit you up on, Mr. Uh Mr. I'm getting up at four AM to go enjoy the craziness that is the wing bowl this week. You've had a busy week, sir. I've been around, yeah. I decided uh, a few months ago when a friend of mine mentioned it that, yeah, I'm going to go to Wing Bowl one more time. I think I've been there eight or nine times total now. I started with Wing Bowl 8. That was 17 years ago, so back in 2000. I was there for Wing Bowl 9 and 10 and 12 and 15. And then three or four more over the next 
eight or nine years. And then uh, a friend of mine said, hey, let's go to Wing Bowl this year. It's the 25th. I said, yeah, why not? So both Denny and David and I went, and we got there early in the morning, 5.30-ish. Yes, I had a beer at 5.30 in the morning. I, I admit it. Why not? Had a few more later on in the morning. And, yeah, Wing Bowl is quite the spectacle. It's a big circus. Somebody said uh, it's like our answer to Mardi Gras, although it happens, you know, one day starting at 3 or 4 in the morning with people tailgating on a cold 30-degree morning. And then you get inside, there's the procession of all the eaters, and there's, you know, Ric Flair was there with his woo. And uh, Coolio was the halftime entertainment, I guess. He did a couple of songs, Gangsta's Paradise and whatnot. All the eaters and their entourages, fun to watch. But the highlight for me was Molly Schuyler. She is the five foot seven, 127-pound woman who won the event in 2014 and 2016. She was back this year. She wasn't in the competition, but she went up against El Wingador in a little wing-off, a five-minute eating competition where they both just tried to eat as many wings as they could. And in five minutes... El Wingador ate 91, and she ate 95 to win that little competition. But then here's the impressive thing. About 20 minutes later, in a separate thing, she tried to break a world record and did. She ate five and a half pounds of food. We're talking one pound of mashed potatoes and four and a half pounds of steak. She ate all that in three minutes and 17 seconds. I don't know how it's done. Well, I don't either. It, it's crazy, and I I've been to one, and one was plenty. It was uh, it yeah. was one. It was fun, but it was uh, it was a good thing to say you went to. But I I saw what I needed to see. There's no reason to go back. It's not for everyone. I'll say that, and it's you know for the most part it is the same thing every year. There's always you know one or two villains among the eaters. This year it was Pittsburgh Polly, uh, rather heavy guy who had the nerve to wear a. Uh, Sidney Crosby jersey in the Wells Fargo Center. There was quite a bit of stuff thrown his way, needless to say. Surprised he made it out alive. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, it's a real circus, but it's fun. And then, of course, after the event ends at like 9.15 in the morning, all the bars in the area are crowded. Uh, So my friends went to one of them. In fact, we went to a place called Tollman Joe's, and Tollman Joe was the winner of the Wing Bowl 8 or 9, one of the first two that I was at. He uh, died about 10 years later, unfortunately, but his brother and some other people bought this bar restaurant and named it after him. And it was a nice place, and I had a few beers there and talked to El Wingador, which was kind of exciting. And uh, I'll tell you, El Wingador is an interesting guy. We'll talk about him a few weeks down the road when I let you know what's going on there. All right. Sounds good. Well, hey, speaking of down the road, you've been on a roll with our guests, and uh, so, so let me ask you, what do you have lined up for next week? Well, I tipped you off to this one, and I know we are both excited about this one. As you know, pitchers and catchers report to Clearwater on Monday. Their first practice is on Tuesday. So for next Wednesday, for our show, we've got a guy who will be on the scene for all of spring training. He's been doing it since the early 70s, I guess. He's a guy who's been watching Phillies baseball up close for all these years, most of his life, and he was part of the broadcast team until 2013. Fans know him as Wheels. We're talking the great Chris uh, Chris Wheeler joining us next week. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. Wheels Wheels knows more about what is going on over the last four decades than probably anybody in Phillies baseball. Yeah, he does. 
He does. I met him the last two years in December when the Phillies had their little winter event at the ballpark, uh, you know, sale of merchandise and a chance to meet the broadcasters and some other folks there, Philly fanatic, of course, posing for pictures. So I got to talk to Wheels the last two years, and this year I said, you know what, I'm going to invite him on the show. And he said yes. We exchanged phone numbers and emails, and we've been in touch, and he's looking forward to joining us next week. Awesome. Is he going to be in Clearwater for the show when the show yeah, goes Yeah, he already is week? in Clearwater. He went down on uh, Monday of last week, last Monday the 30th. So he is there for all of uh, February and March to watch those fills up close. There you go. Good deal. All right. Uh, let's get to our signing update of Carl's Cards and Collectibles. Next up, as we mentioned earlier, Carl, Carl will have two-time Stanley Cup champion Bill Clement. And check this out, Chet, another private signing with a Flyers legend, Bob Clark. Carl will need all items in his possession no later than March the 1st, so time is starting to run down on that. Also, don't forget, you can get all your framing of your memorabilia done at Carl's just as well. For all the details, go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on the Carl's Cards and Collectibles banner at the top to go directly to Carl's website for all of the details. Or stop by Carl's Cards and Collectibles at 22 West Eagle Road, Havertown, PA. Or give Carl a call at 610-789-4996. You can also contact Carl on Twitter at Carl's Cards. Mr. Chesco, parting shot for you tonight, sir. Well, believe it or not, Bill, I realized a half hour before showtime as I looked at our agenda, I didn't have a parting shot for this week. It's true, so... Let me just go back to what I talked about earlier, the Philly Sports Riders dinner and meeting Bill Lyon and hearing him speak after being honored with the association's most courageous award. So well-deserved. To acknowledge and go public with that nasty disease, Alzheimer's, is one thing, but then to write about everything that goes along with it, nine occasional columns and counting, is just fantastic on Bill's part. I was truly honored to have met him and to have the chance to talk to him for two minutes and tell him how much I appreciated his columns about Alzheimer's and, you know, how it's affected his life and his family and all of that stuff. Bill has said a couple of times that he is going to continue to write until he can't. Let's hope that is a long way off. Amen. Well, Chad, I just have one quick parting shot of my own. It's not a written prepared one, but one I want to throw out here. Uh, we, I have been kind of rough on referees from time to time, especially in the NFL. And I have to say the Super Bowl was the complete opposite. Those guys did a great job. Every play that was a close play, they made the right call. They kept the flow of the game going. Even the Julio Jones whatever in the world masterpiece catch that was, that looked like it was impossible. The ref was dead on. The the ball that bounced off the ankle and into the hands they were right on it, got it right on the field. And because they got it right on the field, the game kept flowing, and we weren't stopping for review this, review that. And it, kept, and it made the game much more interesting from that standpoint, besides the fact that there were two awful good football teams. So hats off to the NFL officials in the Super Bowl as well. Yeah, they really did a great job, and you nailed it. Those a couple of catches that they saw with the naked eye, you know, you just kind of would have assumed that that, uh, I guess, it was Amendola or Edelman, Edelman uh, catch off the ankle, that yep. that would have hit the ground just by the, looking at it. But, yeah, he caught it, never hit the ground. 
great catch and terrific job by the officials. So hats off to them, as you said. Yep. And and that Julio Jones masterpiece. I mean, there there was just no way that that could have possibly been a catch. But sure enough, it oh, was. That was nice. That was it a nice sure catch. Was. All right. Anything else you want to add as we have about uh, 45 seconds? Hey, pitchers and catchers, in a few days, they report Monday. They start practice on Tuesday. And before you know it, there will be some baseball on TV. John Cruck officially announced as the Phillies' color man on TV. I think the first game on TV, February 25th. So looking forward to hearing the Crucker on the broadcasts. And on March the 7th, at the newly renovated Joker Marchant Stadium in Lakeland, the Fighting Phils will be in town. And guess who will be in the seats? I'm going to guess you. It will be me. All <laughs> right, my man. Well, we are at the top of the hour. Let's thank our special guest, Mike Barnes. Carl's Cards are collectible for their continued support of the show. Mary Flanagan, our marketing extraordinaire behind the scenes. And our sponsor, ShopForKisses.org, the online shopping network of the Kisses for Kyle Foundation. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, February 15th, when Chris Wheeler joins us. You can listen through our new website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on both iTunes and Stitcher. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. High hopes.